The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Do you or somebody you know hoard? You aren't alone. Hoarding affects millions of people throughout the world. You can do something about it and regain personal control. Welcome to Take Back Your Life When Your Things Are Taking Over with host Elaine Birchall. Reduce and relieve yourself from the shame and blame clutter causes in your life. You can do it and we'll show you how. Now, here's your host, Elaine Birchall. Hello, everyone. I'm Elaine Birchall, your host. Welcome back to all 1,252 of you from all over the world. Today, I'm going to coach you to use proven tools that work. We've talked about what hoarding is. We've talked a little bit about assessing the barriers and the other things people, yourself perhaps, might need help with in order to maximize, optimize your success. Now we're going to take actual tools, proven tools that work, and I'm going to coach you a bit on what they are, how to use them. When you're ready, you can use them to improve and move forward in your life or to support someone else to do the same in their life. We only get one life that we can be sure of, folks, and it's a pity to waste it being stuck and overwhelmed when what we want is just a choice away. I love the fact that so many of you keep coming back every week from all over the world Every Wednesday from 10 till 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And join me here live or later on, on demand, on Voice America's Variety Channel. Please don't be shy. I want to hear from my listeners all across Canada, the U.S., United Kingdom, China, Japan, the Philippines, India, France, Poland, Vietnam, Australia, Malaysia, Spain, Brazil, and Russia. And that's just this past week. Listeners have tuned in or visited me on my website at www.hoarding.ca and contacted us through the Contact Us tool. Now, you can reach me by calling our worldwide toll-free number, 1-866-472-5788, or you can email us at elaine, E-L-A-I-N-E, dot Birchall, B-I-R-C-H-A-L-L, at hoarding.ca, and Donna, my trusty assistant, will pass through your email to me. Or if you prefer, if it's if this is more comfortable for you, you can just listen in. Do whatever fits for you, okay? Let's get started. First thing I want to remind you of is if you're wondering whether something is hoarding or not, it doesn't have to be a mystery. 
always refer to the three criteria. I'm going to remind you what they are in case you're just listening in for the first time today. But if you are just listening in, please go back as you're able and listen to the other shows because there's so much background contained in the previous shows logged in the in the library um, on my host page. So hoarding, this is a working definition. The actual formal definition for hoarding is about three pages long. But the working definition I want you to work from is, number one, three basic criteria. Every one of these criteria must be present even to a minimal degree for something to be hoarding. The first is, there must be what most people would describe as an excessive accumulation and a failure to discard. Now, I like to say discard proportionately. That's not one thing in and one thing out. That's having that basic sense of when things are getting out of proportion. And that uh, check and balance system kicks in. It can be inanimate things. It can be animals, or it can be the combination. Everything you can imagine, no matter what it is, no matter the price tag, no matter how apparently worthless it is, can and is hoarded by someone. Second criteria, activities of daily living, the things each of us have to do every day in the normal course of life, are either are impaired or they've started to be impaired by spaces that can't be used for their intended purpose. If you don't know what the activities of daily living should be, go on my website, www.hoarding.ca, and there's a tab there, radio show, with a big new sign on it with an arrow. The activities of daily living quiz is on that that spot in my on my website. Third criteria, distress or impairment in functioning is either happening to the person themselves who's hoarding or to others. Now distress can be that if someone knew the truth about the condition of the property, they would have legitimate cause to be concerned. Now that can be the fire department, children's services, animal control, public health, bylaw, property standards, your mortgage company, your landlord, your house insurance company. And just because they don't know the truth about the condition of the property, they don't know to be distressed, that criteria is still met if you know or you believe or in actual fact, they would be concerned. Impairment in functioning means, yes, you're still living in the environment, but you're having to make adaptations. You're having to step over things. You're walking on slippery surfaces like magazines. More people have gone down and broken a hip slipping on those slippery magazines, tripped over paper, um, People who use uh, extension cords because uh, they don't, they can't get to the areas where the uh, plugs are to plug them in, and they trip over, um, they trip over extension cords and they fall and they're injured. Those are the three criteria. Always go back to them. Second slide I want to remind you of from the past shows because if you remember nothing else I say today, remember this. 
there are two essentials for successful interventions. The first essential, they must both happen. The first essential is getting people help for the underlying reasons they hoard. Okay, hoarding doesn't happen for no reason. And most often it doesn't happen in isolation of other life difficulties. So people need informed, trained, uh, professional usually help for the underlying reasons they hoard. And the second criteria is let's not kid ourselves. The property does need to be cleaned up. Okay, because the condition of the property is an actual byproduct of the fact that the people are not getting the help they need. Two essentials for any level of success. The uh, next thing I want to talk to you about are three paths to hoarding behavior. We know genetics. Okay, there are three chromosomes with markers in common. We know that 84% of hoarders have a first-degree family relative who hoards mother, father, sister, brother, child. The second path to hoarding, having a high risk, I'm going to use a $5 word here, it's called comorbid condition. It's a coexisting, so it happens at the same time, other life situation. If you, I'm not going to take time today to go over that, but go back to the previous shows. This is all explained in detail in that library of shows. The third path, and this path is a really, really uh, interesting one because I believe after specializing, I, I do this work six to seven days a week. Most days of the year, okay, so I've met a lot of people, I've been involved in a lot of situations, and I believe this third path is something that many people, many people are not safe from, and many people who could never imagine being a hoarder. That third path is being chronically just a little bit overwhelmed and disorganized, and then they person becomes vulnerable. So they either have a health crisis, they have a job crisis, they have a marriage crisis, somebody in the family dies and they're in a state of grief, or a combination of things happen, but they happen in a compacted period of time, just normal everyday things. But there isn't time. It's too compressed a period of time. And the person can't get back on their feet and restabilize. Okay, so those three paths, if you look at all the research, if you met every possible person who hoarded those three paths, one of those paths, at least one of those paths, is going to be a path that led that person to end up in a situation like you see on the TV shows. So, the other thing I want to remind you of is there are basically two camps that people fall into. And so, if your default behavior under sufficient stress, now that stress can also be positive stress, it doesn't have to be negative, for whatever reason and from whatever source, is to fill the void, okay? Fill the void by acquiring or saving things. So the things are your friends. They feel good. The more you have, the closer they are, the better you feel. 
Or the other path, the other camp is that you're someone who stops processing under stress, stop processing the things that come into your life every day and you shut down and your your the apex of what you look at your ability to focus is so narrow that basically it's putting one foot in front of the other to get to the door and then get back in the house you don't see you become clutter blind the stuff is not your friend all right and One day, many, many people, many, many people who are in that camp of hoarding wake up one day and go, when did this happen? I had no idea because they can only afford to look at what they feel able to deal with. Interestingly enough, most of my very successful, very high-functioning individuals came from that camp. So the question I want to ask each and every one of you, even if you're listening in on behalf of someone you love, is what would it take for you to become overwhelmed? How well are you taking care of your physical and mental health? That balance, the balance in your life, because if you're not, you too can be vulnerable to creating a hoarding situation. Maybe not the worst, maybe not like you see on television, but it can get ahead of you. And when anyone is overwhelmed, their executive functions don't work as well. It's very much more difficult, far more difficult to make decisions and to make a plan and follow it. A new concept I want to offer many of you is, and particularly if you're a family member, you know, you think it's so easy, just clean up, just do it. But you're, you're asking the person hoarding to enter into a very um, new transition, a very threatening transition, a very difficult transition. There actually are five stages to change. And the first stage is pre-contemplation. Pre-contemplation is when the individual isn't even on their radar. They're not thinking this is a problem at all. They don't know what you what you're talking about. They think you're the problem. This is a, there's nothing abnormal about this. And why would I? Okay, it might be a little bit more, but it's not a problem. That's pre-contemplation. Right. Second stage of change, contemplation. That's when the person is saying to themselves, hmm, yeah, yeah, someday I'm going to, yeah, okay, well, yeah, yeah. What, mm. When I get around to it, I really do need to start looking at this. So it's entered into their consciousness. They're starting to kind of chew on the thought that, well, but it's not urgent, right? Yeah, okay, something I ha- I really should, I will. Mm-hmm. That's contemplation when people are talking like that. Preparation is when the person thinks, huh, I better get some garbage bags. I better make sure I have a bucket. Uh, that food is kind of deteriorated. I don't know what that is on the floor. I better get some gloves. Hmm. And they start gathering tools together and making a plan. That's the preparation stage. The next stage is action. The action stage is when they 
make a date with themselves. Okay, this Saturday, I'm going to close the door, turn the phone off, I'm not watching television, I'm not accepting any invitations. Today's the day, I'm, that's the day I'm going to start working on this. That's action. And after enough of the work has been done that the person returns themselves to a state where they, they could live, um, it's good enough, all right? It's at least their minimum standard. They've reached the maintenance stage. And if they have the skills and the organizational concepts um, and they've learned a little bit more from their um, lack of action in the past to correct the difficulty, either the over-acquiring, the saving, or being so distracted that they can't make decisions, they've overcome those three um, ways that things bottleneck, then they get to a maintenance stage. And that's when they make a plan to keep it going, to keep it going and keep maintaining um, the environment. It'll always get a little bit ahead of them. Okay, that's life. Uh, That's life for all of us. But then they have a plan to maintain it. Generally, individuals who hoard don't have firm skills to get from one stage to the next. And that's why in the two essentials for success, you need to get people help for the underlying reasons they hoard. And that may be they never get past the first or second stage, all right? And if they don't, then they can't get to the second, which is cleaning up the property. Now, we're going to take a break in just a minute or two, and we're going to talk a little bit about right out of the gate, all right, what to do and what not to do so that when you start working with someone or you work with yourself, you're you're not entering into something that shuts people down. All right, and we're going to talk about the do's and don'ts. We'll see you after the break. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If the financial markets interest you, if you want to potentially earn a higher return, if you're not satisfied with your investment returns, or if you're only making 1% on your investments sitting in the bank, do you see the stock market hitting record highs but feel you have no one to trust? Voice America's own Jordan Kimmel, the host of Magnet Investing for over seven years, is applying his strategies of magnet investing and is managing individual accounts. Jordan Kimmel has joined InvestView, the Red Bank, New Jersey investment education and asset management firm and his team can help you. Contact Jordan and the team at InvestView at 732-380-7271 or by email at jkimmel at investview.com. If you would like a complimentary portfolio review or to speak to a representative, call us. Past performance of investments are not indicative of future results. Investing is inherently risky. All recommendations should be researched by the investor. Call InvestView at 732-380-7271. That's 732 732-380- 
If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. If you prefer, send an email to elaine.birchall at hoarding.ca. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. It was during the break we received an email from someone asking, how can you help someone you care about, a wife or a husband, accept um, that they are a hoarder? Well, that's a tough one because you can't make anyone Um, see something that they're not prepared to see and but you can uh, deal with fact (coughs) excuse me the I guess my best advice is don't try to make someone see something that you see people see things they understand things differently and you're only going to alienate them. You're only going to cause a rift or um, conflict in your relationship that will get in the way of more effective communication. But what you could do is either print it off from my website, go to www.hoarding.ca, and I have a quiz there that I, I actually developed. It's a pretty comprehensive quiz. Are you a hoarder in the making? And if it was someone I loved, I would be approaching it this way. I would say, look, this is what I see. And in concrete terms, there are piles in the house um, or maybe the person is in trouble with their credit cards through acquiring habits. Whatever the cause for your concern, and try to say it in a no-blaming way, just very factual, very objective, okay? I know that's hard to do, but practice. Because if you make them the enemy, if you're in one camp and they're in the other, you're not going to get anywhere anyway. And then either print this off or let them go to the website and take the quiz and at the end of that and don't make them admit anything you've got to let people save face let that information percolate down all right there are so many free resources on my website at www.hoarding.ca just and the other thing that they can do is there's a a free video on there are you concerned about someone's acquiring behavior let them listen to that so that in a non-threatening way they can start to go from pre-contemplation stage of change to contemplation stage 
You can't force them, all right? Unless you've got an immediate threat to life and safety. So you know that it's a fire hazard. You know that it's a tripping or health hazard. You have children in the house and you're concerned for their mental health and their physical health or elderly people, or it's affecting other living things in your home like pets, all right? And you've got concrete evidence of that. You can't force someone. So I would start with that. Now, the other thing I have on my website, and this is why I've decided to review these next few slides that I have in more detail because of this question. And there are probably, if there's one question, there are probably a hundred people out there thinking the same thing. So we're going to talk in a minute about the do's and don'ts when you're trying to help someone. There are basic communication Uh, techniques, proven communication techniques and guidelines for dealing with someone in a hoarding situation. And if we don't get to them today, they are going to be the subject of next week's show. There are unproductive thinking patterns, all right? And I'm really going to recommend, and I get nothing out of this, but I'm going to recommend two books to you. One is by Dr. David Burns, and it's 10 Days to Self-Esteem Workbook. It is a fabulous book for people who are even willing to start to look at what they're doing. It's developed into modules that you work your way through, and it's very, very easy for people to work with independently. The second book, and it's a jewel, is by Dr. Jane Burka. B-U-R-K-A, and it's procrastination and how to stop now. In one of the previous shows, we talked about seven common reasons for hoarding, all right? And sometimes when you give people access to that information, let them listen to the shows that are logged in the library on their own, and they will start to if they if they can save face, they will start to um, f- relate to specific parts of the information, and that may also help them move from pre-contemplation to contemplation stage. Have them take the activities of daily living scale on that um, tab, the resources tab, radio show. All right, just. Print it off for them and let them take it independently without ever having to come back and admit anything. Um, There's a hoarding fact sheet in English and in French on my website. There's a whole list of free hoarding resources, um, books, um, manuals, um, little leaflets, um, audio um, support. Next week, when we're talking about communication, part of it's going to be communicating with yourself as well. And I'm going to go through a series of questions that I've developed on, should I bring this home? And then on the other side, should I let this go? I actually have those developed into little wallet size uh, business card um, prompts and I give those to my clients but you could do the same thing Um, the, the questions are there write them down 
have them printed off on a little tool that you can carry around with yourself. I have a list of websites um, on my we- on my uh, website as well. Other websites where excellent resources, usually free resources and videos, are uh, related. Um, there's a relationship anxiety and satisfaction scale um, in Dr. Burns, Dr. David Burns, Ten Days to Self Esteem. There is a quiz on how depressed are you. That's really important to know because depending on the severity of your level of depression, you may be asking yourself to do something that no human being could do in the state of mind that you're in. You need help with that, additional medical help and psychiatric help with that. How anxious are you? Um, Again, that's a a debilitating um, life situation to be carrying while you're trying to make significant change in your life. How satisfying are your relationships, your most uh, primary relationships? And if you're isolated, you're feeling alone, you become even more isolated um, and Isolation is um, very, very serious because it affects um, the quality of our mental health. We are social beings. We're not meant to feel alone, unloved, unappreciated, um, and isolated. Um, there are there's an advantages and disadvantages a worksheet that you can get at on some websites from my uh, on www.hoarding.ca and those were developed by Randy Frost and Gail Steckety and the person can sit down and look at here are the advantages of hoarding here are the disadvantages of hoarding here are the advantages of not hoarding. Here are the disadvantages of not hoarding. So you make it a more mindful, conscious awareness. There's a housing clutter checklist on my website. You can scale your own residence and see, hmm, where do we rate on this level of severity? Um, there's a defining importance uh, value, uh, scaling the importance and value of the items to help you make decisions on my website. There's a retained importance scaling experiment on my website. So um, if I can't make my mind up about what to do about it, this a scaling experiment that I developed that's on my website can help you decide how important it is to to retain that item. The questions alone for shall I bring this home, shall I let this go, help evaporate a lot of the mystery and a lot of a lot of the difficulty people have trying to decide what to do about their things, what's the right thing to do. One of the other things is um, taking a step back. Um, and there, what I call it is there's more to life than decluttering goals. That's on my website as well. Um, how to set the three goals that I ask my clients to to set to give themselves a better perspective. Because some people get so immobilized. They look at, they won't allow themselves to do any kind of fun, entertaining, play, joy activities because they should be doing this other thing, but the should never makes them do it. Uh, There's an environmental risk assessment checklist 
on my website. Um, so I want to I want to move forward a little bit now with the do's and don'ts of hoarding. All right. So there are basically seven do's and don'ts. One is do remember that it's not about getting people to throw things out. It's about helping them to change their relationship to their possessions so that the importance they can understand, accept, and feel that they have a healthier relationship with their things and then what to do about them, the letting go in one form or another. And there are many, many strategies for moving objects on. That happens naturally when the person develops a healthier relationship with their things. Do focus on the person, and that's even if they're your loved one. Just set all of the friction, all of the conflict, do your best. Take a deep breath and just let it all go because it's not going to get you anywhere. And, And maybe you need some help for your frustration. Another individual's hoarding in the environment you live can be very, very debilitating for your mental health as well. So good self-care. While you're trying to change them, get some help for yourself. Do focus on the person. How are they feeling? All right. And how are they feeling about their things up to this point? Do keep the discussion broad and begin with, My wish for you would be that you were happier, that you were less anxious, that you had more fun activities, more joy in in your life. Don't label them, all right? People are more than the labels we use when we're talking third party about things. Use their term, accept if they use a disparaging term for themselves, all right? If they use an insulting or disparaging put-down term for themselves, and don't be quiet if they do, because if you're quiet, that's the same thing as agreeing. And when, when people do that with me, you know, and they say, oh, I'm just lazy or, you know, whatever the term is, I get, I, I hear a lot that people feel lazy, um, or worthless. My my way of handling that is to say, because it's true, always work from the truth. My way of handling that is to say to them, look, I've done this for many years and I've never met someone, even in a hoarding situation, who is who is lazy. I've met people who are overwhelmed. People do things for good reasons, sometimes reasons they don't understand. If you don't understand why you're doing something, it's really hard to do something different. The next of the do's and don'ts, number four, don't confront denial. I know it's frustrating if if you love the person, but don't confront denial until you have a solid relationship or your relationship is in a positive frame because all you're going to do is alienate that person even further. Tell them in concrete terms, be very careful to use non-judgmental 
um, language and terms for what you're seeing, but be concrete. When I see this, this is what it means to me. All right. And I appreciate that you see something differently or you feel differently about it. But that's what this means to me. Try your very, very best to use no, have a no fault attitude. And remember that language is powerful. So I would ask you to practice what you're going to say, how you're going to express yourself. I'd run it by a friend. Um of your own, one of your own friends, to see whether there's any tinge of anything in there that's going to um, shut the person down, possibly, or make them just back away from you. Don't ask rapid fire questions, even when you're upset and angry, frustrated, because the person, it, they, they're if they're hoarding, I can almost guarantee you 100% that they're overwhelmed. They can't take in rapid fire um, questions or rapid fire comments. Speak slowly. Keep your voice soft and calm as best you can. No more than two comments very slowly expressed in a row. Don't play the role of expert. Even if they want your help, they want your help at their own pace and they want they, and they probably appreciate your help but you you need to respect their preferences their choices all right because if you don't and you take advantage of that the fact that they appreciate your help and they're letting you do things that they really don't want you to do it's only going to make the hoarding worse. They either won't continue to accept your help or they will do something else counterproductive completely unconsciously. All right, they'll hoard more. They'll hide it. Um, they, it will break down the relationship. So we're going to take a break in a minute or two and then we're going to talk about some basic communication techniques that really, really work in hoarding situations. Okay, I'll see you after the break. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, myth, reality, and 21st century archaeology. 
with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over. To reach the program today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you prefer, send an email to elaine.birchall at hoarding.ca. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everyone. Just before the break, we were talking about the do's and don'ts of hoarding. Now we're going to move on to some basic communication techniques that I use, many successful clinicians use, but Joe Average can use them as well. All right, they're they're very respectful, and they get you the best results, the best communication. They, and they keep the lines of communication open as well. The first is open-ended questions. So when you're phrasing a question, you can phrase a question as a what, a when, a where, and a how. All right? But don't ask why. And the reason you don't ask why is because you make the person go on the defensive. Now they have to justify something. And for sure, they're going to come up with a why, but it probably doesn't reflect reflect reality. It probably reflects their ability to defend themselves in some way. The second basic communication technique is one that shows respect and shows um, the fact that you're really interested in understanding them, all right? People respond better when they feel that the listener understands them. So you're both working from the same page then. And they're called reflective listening statements. They do show that you heard, and they show that you understand. And the way you do that is something like, um, so say the person says, you know, I'm afraid that I'll make the wrong decision. And a reflective listening statement would be, and this is the way I do it. I say, look, I'm going to... Repeat what I understood you to say. If I got it wrong, please correct me because it's really important that I understand exactly what you mean by what you've said. So I hear that when you look at these things and you consider doing something about them like, and we go through, you know, donate, re-gift, keep, whether to keep them or not, whether they're of a quality or use um, that you might want to um, re-gift them, recycle them, um, or discard them, I hear you saying that that makes you afraid that if you let something go or you keep something, you might possibly regret it and then you don't know what to do about that. You don't know how you'd manage that. And so, you would regret it and 
rather than regret it, you stay stuck in fear. Did I get that right? That would be the kind of reflective listening statement that I would make. I only make it when I really, truly feel that I need to clarify. I don't do it with everything they say because I would become the most annoying person on the face of the earth. Next communication strategy is to summarize what the client says. All right. Keep it. This is usually at the end after we're on the verge of stopping um, a session. Uh, Keep it brief and don't equivocate. And what that means is say what you mean and mean what you say, but say it respectfully and say it with compassion. All right. So be very careful that it's not um, a judgment um, or that there isn't some tone that gives a subtext message, particularly if you're summarizing something that you don't agree with or that there's, it's been a bone of contention. You're really going to have to practice what you say in the mirror to be sure you're not causing a problem rather than solving it. Okay, it's, it's very important. The fourth communication strategy is supportive acknowledgements about what the client's feeling. All right. We live in our feelings, folks. All right. We live where our heart is. And then we usually, some of us, run it through our brain to make sure that we can rationalize it and it makes sense. And that you acknowledge supportively their efforts, especially when they're not making much success and progress. And their struggles, and you can see that. You can see that in their their body language, in their breathing. You know, how uh, their color changes, how um, sometimes their eyes well up, how things become intense and, and, and strained, and especially their accomplishments, even the smallest accomplishments. If people understood the struggle this is for an individual who hoards, they would have to look at the biggest achievement, the biggest task that they would have to accomplish in their own life and compare it. So in order to help you with that point number four, I would like you as the helper to step back in your own life, in your own thinking. And I would like you to come up with 20 things. Look around your environment, the 20 things that you love the most. And imagine what your response, your feelings would be if you were with someone who was trying to talk you into throwing those things out or getting rid of them. What would that be like for you? It doesn't make sense, does it? Because you look at them and you see value. You see importance. You see the fact that you love them and you you know your, your own personal relationship with those things. The person hoarding feels exactly the same way, whether it's about old newspapers or garbage. They feel exactly the same way. Okay, the, the gap is in the perception. So you've got to factor that in to your support, your language, your communication with them, and your attitude toward them. The other thing that I do is I explore the pros and cons about having so many things. And there can be pros, because the truth is, 
probably one time out of 10, the moment you get rid of something, you could use it again. It's happened to me. It's happened to most people. The fact is, can you live with it? Can you problem solve that so it doesn't create the feeling and the belief that you need to hold on to everything in case that happened? We are flawed, imperfect human beings, just the way we're supposed to be, and the world is an imperfect, uncertain place. Do you feel that you have the competence, the ability to deal with that uncertainty? That's the real challenge. It isn't about the things. It's about the relationship to their their own things and the relationship they have to themselves as a competent, capable individual to handle uncertainty. The other thing I do is, and I don't do it as an affectation, I do it because I genuinely am curious. Ask for elaboration when someone's saying something or they're talking about something, an item or what they think or or what they're afraid of or what their values are about recycling, for instance, I might ask, you know, I'm curious, tell me what, what this, tell me what the, the attraction is. Tell me um, what the importance is this for. I want to see it through your eyes. Promote looking forward, all right, to the quiet dreams they have. So one of the things um, that I do um, occasionally with people is I ask them, you know, sort of the miracle question. And that is, if tonight when you were asleep, all things were possible and the world changed, when you woke up in the morning, all things were possible. What would you wish for the most? All right. And they will almost always give it to you. The other thing I want you to do is to go on the website and pull off the the goals um, sheet, the three goals, setting three goals, not any old three goals. They're very particular ones. And if for some reason you can't find them, please email me. Those two uh, strategies in combination the during the world uh, during the night the world changed question and the three goals those are very very powerful tools for helping people refocus not on what the problem is but on what they really really want out of life at all times you need to express empathy this is a difficult situation, no matter how easy it looks to you, um, the helper. Respect, all right, and shared purpose. Remember, there is nothing they have to do. A pers- An individual has the right to create the crisis they know they need, even if they only know it unconsciously, to get the help that they know they need, even unconsciously, to achieve the cleanup that they know even unconsciously is necessary. A lot of this happens at the unconscious. And just because you say something, just because you don't press a point, you treat them with empathy, respect, shared purpose, you're planting a seed in the unconscious and it will work. The person's unconscious will work with that. Even if you don't see any progress right now, all right, that they will do the very best they're capable of with that. 
explore contradictions and discrepancies without judging. Don't do it like it's a trap. Well, last time you said this, something like, that's interesting because if I understood correctly, the last time you wanted to do this with something that looks very similar to me, what in your mind is the difference between these two things? And that helps the person clear the fog away. And give them time. Don't try to trap them. Ask them how the current situation, the hoarding, affects important parts of their life. And don't try to lead them down one path. Let them follow their path. Work with them. Shared purpose. Like family, friends, inviting people over. What life would be like without so much accumulation? Be ready for it. It might not feel like a positive. If you're in camp number one where the stuff is your friend and the more you have and the closer it is, you feel better, then that's what you have to deal with. And can they imagine what it would be like if there was less accumulation and they were in control of what stayed and what what went? Be prepared sometimes to take a harm reduction approach. I'm working with someone right now where her mother is not prepared to let go of of anything and, and she's moving into a smaller place. And so where possible, let the person keep everything in storage and help them set up an environment that is workable and livable in the space they have, they can always do the sorting or the work from the storage. And quite often when things are in storage for a period of time, it's very, very interesting. It doesn't always happen, but it happens a great deal that they begin to disconnect from the things. And then later on, quite often, they're able to see those things in a better way more reasonable, more appropriate light. Roll with resistance. Avoid arguing for change. Avoid confronting. Remember that resistance is their current way to maintain control. And who among us doesn't need a reasonable amount of control and predictability in our life? And that resistance should be a signal to you to respond differently with respect Empathy, shared purpose. When they need control, let them have it. Next point, encourage and acknowledge any good self-care. Change depends upon the insight about distorted thinking. That distorted thinking is described in Dr. Burns' book, The 10 Days to Self-Esteem Workbook. And that distorted thinking creates the problem, the beliefs that they can't do what's necessary to change. It also requires a plan with a buy-in that they feel capable of. And if they're resisting, they don't feel they're able right now. They're not there. Above all, promote hope and personal responsibility. Don't enable them. This is their life. This is their problem. These are their decisions. You're there to help, not to force the issue. Only the client can make the change that's necessary happen. 
Demonstrate confidence that they can make the change, even when you're discouraged and you don't see them getting there. Build confidence in their ability to cope with the uncertainty of life. You don't need all the answers to know that you can manage it somehow. Confidence and successful experiences are critical to the client's motivation and feeling of capacity and competence. So that's all for today. Next week, we're going to continue on talking about background, beliefs, hypersensitivity um, to making change. We're going to talk about reasons for saving. So I hope all of you come back for part two. We're going to talk about the questions as well. What to bring home, what to let go, some sorting um, strategies, and checking in with yourself on danger signs when you know things are not all well. You take care, be gentle with yourself, Have a great week, and I'll hear from you next week. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please join Elaine Birchall for another edition of Take Back Your Life when your things are taking over next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll help you declutter your home and your life again next week.